What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular tenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor at New Hill Church. And Mark Sherry, the pastoral candidate of the month, several months in a row. On the agenda for today, we're going to be talking about our departure from the SBC, breaking that down a little bit for you. And we're going to be giving you guys an introduction to the doctrines of grace as we uh, take the next few weeks, the next month, month and a half, or whatever it takes to uh, break that down um, and try and give you guys a biblical perspective. Mark, how have you been? I've been fantastic. It's been very busy at work. It is the end of our quarter, and so lots of lots of uh, projects to work on. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Could be wrong. Yeah, I'm not wrong. It's a be. weird way to be on a quarter, right? Yeah. So, so technically, our, the quarter ended. So you're not on a calendar year. No, we're on uh, our fiscal ends in January. Okay. So that's really goofy. I know. I feel like that would I mess know. with they, your brain. They do that for financial reasons and financial I, reasons. Yeah, there's tax reasons and whatnot, but. I actually live off of my work calendar year, so I will celebrate Christmas January 25th instead going forward. Really? No. <laughs> Come on, you're supposed to play along with it. Of course. So it's just the, the two of us today. Um, Browns played last night. Yes, they did. How yeah. did they do, Michael? They did great. I think they won 17-14. Uh, I think they only won by three. Wasn't that their B team? It was absolutely their B team. Um do you, do you but know it's, it's tough to say that because um, the quarterback we have, our backup, is better than most backups. Um, he's not like an all-star. We don't have Tom Brady sitting the bench most days. Um, our quarterback had been injured, so the way we, he'd been playing, uh, Case Keenum was not going to play worse then. Um, our two running backs were out, uh, but our third-string man is so good. Who is uh, he? Dearness Johnson. Oh yeah, uh, it was it's actually his his news. first NFL start. Really? Uh, yeah, because we picked him up before we picked him up uh, last season. He was fishing uh, dolphin like Maui Maui. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, down in like the Keys or, or something down in yeah the Bahamas or whatever. There's got to be a correlation between fishing for dolphins and playing football somewhere there. Um, I can tell you that if you're doing it for a living, you're strong. Oh so, yeah, yeah, strong as an ox. Quick reflexes. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that was really cool to watch uh, him do well. Seventeen yeah, was, to fourteen, by the way, folks. For that those was curious. That was the the final score. Uh, spoiler, uh, whenever this drops, anyways. Yeah, so we're recording this on a Friday after the Browns game. But yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I've not been doing much. You know, you said that you've been doing well. I haven't been doing a whole lot. You reading anything good? The Bible? Actually, you know what? So uh, I just heard about John MacArthur talking about a new legacy Bible. Uh, which is based off of the NASB. Great translation, a little choppy. I, sent, so, I saw your text. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to look at it though. Yeah, it's it's really good. They don't have the whole Bible completed, and I think they finished the Bible's the already project. complete, brother. Well, the the translation. Let me <laughs> clarify there. So so they didn't have the translation completed. Uh, a lot of Old Testament, quite a bit of New Testament, but not all of it. And it's good. It, it reads smooth. It's not nearly as choppy as the NASB. So. Uh, took a little gander at that this morning, and um, I've kind of put a hold on my books since it's end of quarter with work, but I'll right. pick them back up. It reminds me, you've kind of dropped the ball on uh, Christ on Every Page. Mm, yeah, how, how far along are you on that? Because I've uh, read not, it before. Not, no, <laughs> no. I think I did the first chapter, and I talked to you about it, and um, a month went by where I didn't get into it. Yeah. And uh, 
it expired on Hoopla for me, so I gotta reborrow it. So here's what I want to know, and this question <clears throat> is for Sue Juarez too, since she's I hear a uh, avid yeah, listener yeah, yeah. of ours. So how many books proportionally? How many books do you buy that you don't read approximately? In entirety, because I know I, I pick and choose what That's I read. Tough to answer because I'm not dead yet. <laughs> that I don't read. That I don't read within like what amount of time? Within a year. Within a year? Oh, a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'd say it's like a it's like an eighty percent. You oh know, yeah, that's uh, a lot difference. Yeah, um, well, that's the thing with Hoopla. I don't feel as bad about it because it's it's through the library. There's actually a book um, that I really want to get into by Jared Wilson. Um, man, where did Hoopla go? Where are you? I don't know if I borrowed it yet. It's pretty much um, doing church for the right reasons, getting away from like the the new mindset of of church and um, here it is. I got it right here. Gospel Driven Church. Um, and the subtitle, if the internet will work here, is uh, Uniting Church Growth Dreams with Metrics of Grace. So huh. pretty much like the, the whole idea is uh, getting away from that, that watered down church. Like what do we measure as success? And, you know, he doesn't say that it's numbers, it's not ministries, it's the gospel-driven church. Like, what drives us? It's the gospel, it's the grace of God. Is is this the guy? Wrong, Jared Wilson? Wrong Jared Wilson. All right, J- so here's A- another one. J-R-E-D. E-D. That one? Yep, from and Mid- he's with Midwestern. Midwestern, yeah. okay. His That's, name uh, sounds familiar. So, the yeah, we can talk about the other one sometime, but um, he dealt with uh, the other Jared Wilson, was a pastor... And uh, Tennessee, yeah, dealt yeah. with uh, um, depression and took his mm. own life a few years ago. Oh, so. I did not know that. Yeah, mm. um, wild story. But yeah, Jared Wilson, the other one, the author I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, let everybody know he's like that wasn't me, but that was a, a brother in Christ. And right, because um, right. a lot of people confuse the names, yeah, the spelling's different. Yeah, e- but, yeah, easy to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, anyways, yeah, that's a book I'm looking forward to getting into. But also, what I'm looking forward to getting into is this discussion about our recent announcement of leaving the SBC. Yes. There's a really a difficult, um, let's see, what month are we in? October. So yeah. uh, four months ago was the yeah. the national uh, convention, convention when we all got together and, and um, met up to discuss the business of the Southern Baptist Convention moving forward and making motions and celebrating reports of missions. And um, there was a lot to celebrate. But if we could go back and um, if you could, in, in just a few sentences, um, explain to people the atmosphere of the convention, which I believe was troubling. Um, like, I, I, th- I think it was great that we were there, but when you were hearing, let me, let me give it over to you first. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I sense division, mm-hmm. contention and division. Now, <clears throat> when you're in the crowd, it seems vibrant and, you know, there are people fellowshipping, but then when it comes to the voting, there were certain votes that were literally split right down the middle, um, and and that was troubling because a house divided cannot stand. Right, and it, you know, like there's there's reason for us to like you know split votes and you know be at odds in, in certain areas, and that's the beauty of the Southern Baptist Convention is we're all autonomous. Um, now there does come a point in time where it becomes it does become divisive. Right. Um, we're all seeking a certain direction from the leadership um, that we may not be getting, regardless of the side you're on. So if you're on the opposite end of us and 
and some of the ways that we vote, um, and it goes our way, then you would be upset. If it goes your way, then we would be upset. Um, and when it's not those, uh, as Brother Mark says, tertiary issues, yes. uh, when it becomes primary issues, then um, that becomes a, a real issue. So we, we saw some of that um, this year. And one, a couple of the things that I've, I've heard brought up that were really good points is even in this once-a-year meeting, so the, the first abuse uh, motion was made in 2019, and the issue is is we've, it got voted down, um, and I mentioned that that was a good thing. It needed some proper steps and things to be um, in place if we were going to seek out justice um, and change. So that would have been presented in 2020, but because that was canceled, we're only meeting once a year. It's right. taken two years just to get this motion passed, um, which is troubling in and of itself. But So it gets passed. But a point that was made in a podcast or a blog that I was reading, listening to, whatever, um, was that these things are so quick. It's only a couple days, and they have so much um, business to get through Yeah. that I don't know if you picked up on it, but there were a few motions that were being discussed, and it felt like when we were starting to get somewhere, um, they would make a motion from the stage yes. that this expires and we move they on. They shut it down. So they're like, hey, we appreciate the discussion. We're making a motion uh, that you know we, we move forward because right. time has expired. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't just get up and yell from your seat in a crowd of 15,000 and be like, Bull crap. Like, you know, we're, we're getting somewhere. Get, that'd and, be Gary, by the way. Yeah, right. Like, no, we're getting... And and I get the, the business meeting aspect. You do need to move forward. But that's an unfortunate thing that, you know, we have to... You have to come to terms with if you're within the SBC that um, the once a year meeting, you just don't have enough time to discuss things that need and require a little bit more attention. So... It's unfortunate, but yeah, that was one of the things in the midst of the division, mm. which really stunk because it's like, all right, maybe we're getting somewhere, but oh, out of time. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that happened, as you mentioned, um, it felt divided, though a lot of us were fellowshipping. Uh, some of you were taking pictures of celebrities. Jeff Durbin, and, Chocolate yeah. Knox. Shout out if you're listening. I'm sure you are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, there, there's a lot to celebrate. Um, even still, if you're part of the SBC and you're listening, uh, lots to, to celebrate. For us, uh, the decision that we, we had to come to uh, terms with was the cons now out, outweigh the pros. Mm. And unfortunately, we've got to make a decision uh, for our church family that is of our best interest, and that was to depart from the SBC. Now, there were a few reasons um, for that departure. Um, we made that known uh, via the meeting um, in between services um, on the Sunday of October 17th, and then following the service later on that afternoon, we sent out an email as a reminder, um, and, and four reasons. It was the, the sex abuse uh, scandal, um, and we'll break this down a little bit further. Uh, number two was the SBC president. Number three was egalitarianism. Um, and then number four was the overall dysfunction. First off, the sex abuse scandal. Uh, what was going on is there's been uh, abuse reported uh, within the SBC. Now, if you go back to 2016, you can actually see there are people who have been convicted from uh, different SBC churches in Texas that these churches weren't doing their due diligence, weren't doing background checks uh, for certain areas. 
and then um, that actually could have prevented this and uh, those people have been convicted now then it goes to the problem that at seminaries and at higher levels within the SBC um, that these things were reported and allegedly mishandled mm. so the vote uh, this past summer was to investigate that uh, by a third party and to waive attorney-client privilege do you have an understanding of attorney-client privilege in the SBC? No, uh, within the regards of the law. The law, I mean, generally, but I'm not a... Could you give, like, a brief understanding to the people of what attorney-client privilege is? Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that... I'm you throwing you on share, spot, yeah. well, and, and I'm, again, I'm not a... I could be dead wrong, but my understanding is that... My understanding is that uh, the attorney cannot share uh, incriminating evidence against uh, his client, his or her client, because... Uh, that is a privilege they have. That, that's it, I believe it's mostly in the sharing aspect. Right. Yeah. So, so to my understanding, yes, those <clears throat> those conversations are, are kept mano y mano uh, just between that person and the lawyers or the team and the, the team of lawyers, uh, whoever's involved, and it doesn't have to be disclosed. Um, now, do you understand the legal issues of waiving attorney-client privilege? Um, the process, no. As far as the implications, yeah. I mean, so so the... It, it's defined, I just Googled it. It prevents a lawyer from being compelled to testify against his or her client. The purpose underlying this privilege is to ensure that clients receive accurate and competent legal advice by encouraging full disclosure to their lawyer without fear. So if you waive that and you share something with your attorney that is condemning, they can use that against you. Right. So, so yeah. And then the issue becomes when you do that is uh, you're, you're making yourself liable Right. Um, and then those who represent you, your insurance, yeah. are now liable for you and your actions. So when you waive that, um, you open yourself up to a, a lot of issues. And not just you as an organization, those with you are now liable and held accountable. It's, and so on an so individual basis. Yeah, so this is yeah. the issue. So on both sides. So you want a full transparent um, investigation as Christians... So, so the disposition for, for many people within law would be, yeah, don't waive that. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, there's some things that maybe we don't want out there. So I, I understand the Christian disposition um, is a good one to be like, hey, like, you know, like we're innocent. Like, we're going to waive this. Um, but then legally in the system we live in is it opens up issues. So this is the divide. So if you're listening to this, you're like, okay, so waiving it can be a problem. Yeah. Not waiving it looks bad. Yeah. Um, also, we voted for it to be waived, and when the EC, the executive committee, got together, they were saying, no, we're not going to waive privilege, mm. which is unprecedented. So um, in this point, I want to make it clear that this is un an unprecedented move by the executive, executive committee, which has since reversed course, um, but they've never gone against the messengers. So what they did was they flexed their muscles to show us that they actually hold that power. Mm. They didn't do anything illegal. They didn't do anything out of order, um, but no one knew that they were allowed to do that until, until this year. Yeah. yeah, well, and like maybe people knew, but um, like I would, I wouldn't say that I'm the only ignorant one here. But um, or and everybody's ignorant in in that sense. But no, some people had to have known, but we didn't, and that 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 raises concerns because some of some of the people who maybe have reserves with leaving the SBC or maybe with us leaving. Uh, they would say, we'll go to Anaheim, California, next June, that's the next meeting, and let your voice be heard. But the problem is, is if we go and let our voice be heard, 
is it then going to, the muscles of the executive committee, are they going to be flexed again next fall and say, we don't really care what you have to say. We have the right to, to overturn right. your order or motion. And you're continuing to invest up until next January yeah. in an organization right. you are not fully on board with. Right. So um, that's issue number uh, one. And, and a big one because we think that uh, process is important. Um, so we think that a proper investigation does need to be done. Um, those who are, uh, if any, are found guilty of mishandling this information, mm-hmm. we believe that they should uh, face uh, whatever charge or reprimand, whatever it might be. Uh, right. They should be held accountable. We think that's biblical. Um, and then justice uh, should be served in whatever way, shape, or form. But process has to be done. Um, number two was the SBC president. Um, we elected, uh, we, the convention, um, voted for um, Ed Litton, yeah. a pastor out of Tennessee, and I think Tennessee, right? I believe so. Yeah. And there were several issues um, that people could have with, with Brother Litton, um, but one of our big ones that has transpired after, it wasn't like a before thing, it wasn't a, uh, a maybe thing. Uh, he's been caught plagiarizing. We think that's a big problem. Also, unrepentant behavior. He's not taking responsibility for that other than to say, well, you don't quote every commentary that you use. And it's like, all right, look, commentaries are like general knowledge. Different. Yeah, and it's yes. like giving you history and context. And believe me, if you go to our church, you know, like, I don't know all that. Like, I'm not a history major. I've spent time in commentaries. Um, oftentimes, quote from the commentaries when I'm using a word-for-word quote. Right. Uh, which is what <clears throat> Mr. Litton did without giving proper accreditation. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if you have anything to add to, well, to and that, that, that were, issue. And, well, and, and again, I, I don't know the intricacies of this, so I, I can't cast stones. But as I understand. Of the plagiarism? It, no, of the pla- that's settled. Oh, that's settled. Plagiarism that's on, that's done, on YouTube. Right? That's, that's yeah, crazy. You yeah, can't anyways. get around. Watch a video. It, it'll blow your mind how he can. It's, it's lying. He's taking someone else's literal stories, word for word, right. repeating them like it's in his own words. And actually, in his own voice with their yeah. words. So that's settled. But as far as I understand it, he would also have his wife preach. and uh, Which goes into issue number three. Yeah, yes. Which so, is okay, what? So that's a good no, that's segue. Good. So egalitarianism. So okay. Which we, is what? So we, we believe that the scriptures teach that um, God has appointed men, uh, qualified men to uh, preach and lead the church and that while women are equally as important valuable to the church their role is not in the pastorate which one of the functions of the pastorate is to preach and and you know it's it, it shouldn't be anything and we we would agree so this is what's weird with this word preach right so this is where you know we've spent discussion as as pastors uh, pa- pastors who are pastoring this congregation together, our church family, New Hill, we've spent a lot of time discussing what does this mean? Because to preach is to proclaim, and all Christians are to proclaim God's word. Yes. Now, all of you, men and women alike, in Christ Jesus, are to proclaim the truths of the scripture. Now, when we talk about men are the ones to preach, we're talking about to to get up and to um, exhort the congregation through God's word to preach and teach from it in the context of the church. Um, that is for the qualified men, according to the scriptures, the pastors. Right. Now, 
women, uh, we believe that there are roles and, and places for you to preach, even to larger settings, namely women and conferences. And um, we're not talking about those those parachurch ministries. We're talking like Ed Litton has had his wife up on Sunday morning preaching. Yes. And it's not that we don't think women are capable of public speaking. Uh, we have women in our church, I think, that would probably be better than me. Um, but God isn't, and God never has, chosen the most likely. God has never chosen the most gifted. He has chosen the least likely, the least worthy, to display his glory and his power. So this isn't a giftedness, right? This isn't a, a, a quality thing. This is God's created order thing. And we want to make sure that we're maintaining and upholding it according to his word. Yeah, and, right? and once a woman, I mean, I've talked to many, many women, my wife included, who they just find it unnatural. And they, they, they don't even go to the Bible. Find what unnatural? For a woman to preach to a mixed congregation of men and women in the covenant assembly during worship... Uh, for a woman to lead to, um, you know, to teach men, and then, then you know, when they go to the Bible, they find it supports their intrinsic understanding of this, and so this is based in creation, right? The complementarian view. It's not. It's not. It didn't come about because of Paul. This is the what the church has always believed back to creation, and. Uh, you know, it, when you read those passages, you have to try some real gymnastics to get around them. Sure. First Timothy two, predominantly. That's <clears throat> I think the chief cornerstone passage. And so when when a, you know, just like me, I have to I have to submit to my elders. I have to submit to my boss. I have to submit to the governing authorities. And um, there are certain things I'm not allowed to do because God has not uh, given me that platform. And that is a platform that God has given to qualified men alone. So th- this shouldn't be offensive to anybody. Uh, this this should be encouraging because it it keeps us in our lanes. What, how God has wired us and designed us. But to your point, yeah, I know women who could preach far better than I could, uh, and I acknowledge that. And they, I, I think, they do really well in uh, with women and out on the streets, men and women, but not in the assembly because that's not how God has designed it. Right. Yeah. So. Um, and that's it's also contradictory to the SBC's statement of faith. Um, I was really encouraged, Church, uh, that the North American Mission Board put out a, an article that they do not support um, any church plants that uh, are uh, working in opposition to the Baptist faith and message in regards to um, having women pastors. Um, so I thought that was great. Again, the issue here is the North American Mission Board operates on their own with SBC funding. So while that's great from them, the SBC also needs to plant their feet and and take a stance. Um, One quick example, and we won't get into it, Saddleback with Rick Warren. Mm. And then uh, they've apparently come out um, and and made statements that elders and pastors are different, so that's why they have women elders. They're not pastors, they're elders. But church, those those terms, those titles, they're synonymous. Um, Elder, pastor, bishop, Bishop, overseer, all of those, um, they're the same thing. So that that's just trying to... Honestly, I think that's more disrespectful to women. Oh, <laughs> like, right. on, like yeah. It's like a woman is aspiring to be a pastor, and you're like, that's cute. We'll give you a, a title called elder. Right. Whereas we're just trying to say, like, you, you are gifted, yeah. for sure. Let's, let's see how we can use those gifts um, in regards to the scriptural 
understanding right. of those gifts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I, I don't know. I've always been like repulsed by that. Like when it's like, um, <clears throat> or I've heard guys say. Well, they're not the lead pastor, and it's like, <laughs> so now you're elevating yourself. Right. Like, right. I've heard that in our own community. Like, they, they started, the church started allowing women pastors, and it's like, but she's not the lead, so now it's okay. And it's like, well, what if she's better than you? And the congregation starts to see that. You, you don't like, see Because maybe you're not qualified. Be, before so, we found New Hill, we went to a local church, very large in Medina, and uh, I didn't see this on their web's, website anywhere, but a woman's uh, pastor stood up to preach. And I, I got up, up and I got up and I left. And as I'm walking out, one of the, I don't know if they were a greeter or a deacon, I, I don't really know their role, but they right. said, hey, everything okay? I said, oh, everything's fine. I said, I'm going to have to leave because um, your church isn't following the scriptures. He said, what do you mean? So I pulled out my Bible and I pulled up 1 Timothy 2.11 and I read it. And I said, you, you know, you've appointed a female elder or pastor and she is preaching to the flock and that's in contradiction to this. And he smiled and said, thanks for sharing that. He didn't know how to respond well, to it. So here's here's the issue, right? It's like, I know how we come across. Mm-hmm. Me and you and uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Simon and anybody in our church who has like a firm position on this, we sound like the mean Bible thumpers, right? We're just the mean, mean guys who just want to yeah, like the rule patriarchy. and control. That's not true. No. We, we literally, <clears throat> church, like we laugh about this, but it, I think it's because like this is awkward and it's like, it's a shame that we have to have this conversation, but we love the scriptures. We love our God That's right. and we love his word. And we just want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Um, and, and we know what it says. We don't have to wonder, Oh, what did God mean by this? Right. Uh, now some things require extra attention. I would say that this is one of those. I think it's clear. Um, but it's one of those, like I think in our day and age where it's like, we do need to give clear attention to it. We need to make sure that we're explaining it well to people. Um, but at the end of the day, it's what the word says. So we need to obey it, not because your pastors believe it, but because the Bible teaches it. Yeah, this so. this has nothing to do with sexism. I, I've m- many of my managers, most of them have been females, and I preferred to work under most of them. And it, it has no, it literally has nothing to do with it. There is a now, as a man who's uh, you know steeped in the scriptures, it is it is offensive to me, but. In a sense, I could care less. Like if a woman preached, it doesn't matter to me in a sense. But the Bible's so clear on it. And you, I mean, you just have to look at it and you right. can exposit it or you can read it at face value. The meaning is the same. Right. So all of this to say, number four, dysfunction. Um, every time it seemed like our, our uh, or your pastors, uh, Mark, myself, Gary and Simon, got together to talk about these things. It was just like, it's so dysfunctional. We just continue to talk and as things progress. So in, in June, we said, hey, let's give it a year and reevaluate. It's really dysfunctional now. There's some concerns, but uh, it would be premature to pull out right after the newly elected president just because we don't like a few things. Like, let's just, let's really hope for the change and maybe we can reverse course. Um, it just got worse from there. Um, and I can testify that the, the internal conversations between, you know, the four of us, there, there, was, there was patience, there was reluctance. This wasn't like a giddy, okay, great, let's do this. There was a real thought put into this. Right. And we had to put together, you know, what Michael actually put together <clears throat> and sent out. Uh, those, are, those are compelling reasons. And it wasn't done lightheartedly. Right. So this doesn't change our day-to-day, if you're curious. Absolutely. Um, we... 
your pastors will refer to us um, as a Reformed Baptist Church. Still, yes. if someone asks what what denomination, well, we're not a part of a denomination, but we are a Reformed Baptist Church. Um, we're an autonomous church. And um, again, I, I told you guys, you all can go around saying non-denominational. Please understand, though, that that, that carries baggage. I, I would refer to us as Reformed Baptist. It, it reflects who we are, reflects our doctrine. Um, and anybody asking that has a, a lick of sense of what's going on. Yes. They're not an un, probably not an unsaved person um, or a very confused one at that. So um, anyways, that, that's where we're at. We do need to reallocate um, some of our uh, monies to like-minded missions. Um, and we're exploring the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. Um, to give you guys a frame of reference, if you know of Matt Chandler, um, he's the president of that. Um, a lot of you probably read his books or listened to sermons and didn't even know it. Um, he's a uh, devout Christian and brother um, devoted to, to God's word and to uh, the planting of churches and reaching um, of the people. So we're excited for that opportunity. Uh, we'll keep you posted as, as that goes on. Um, I think we have an interview coming up and um, that'll kind of determine whether we get in. They've got a vetting process to make sure that we are also like-minded, so we appreciate that about them. And uh, again, it doesn't change anything for our day-to-day, but uh, it means that we need to be intentional in making sure that we're finding partners uh, for the work of ministry to support. That being said, we've got a little bit of time to jump into a brief introduction on the doctrines of grace. Amen. What are the doctrines of grace? Yeah, and, and by the way, this com- this comes out of uh, several folks have been asking questions that are coming out of the small groups. Yeah, so several we, small groups. Yeah, yeah as we asking. as we go through particularly Paul's epistles, you'll you'll find language that uh, might co- might kind of be different from what you had heard in your church growing up, and so naturally questions come about. Uh, it, some of them are. You know, really, just uh, a misunderstanding of what's being said. So I think that's the purpose of the series. We want to, we want to clarify and also be approachable for when you have questions. Please do. I know I'm meeting with someone uh, in November just to sit down and walk through it. And uh, so do- doctrines of grace. This really goes back to uh, the the Reformation. This was the common common view at that time. Many churches did not believe in it, but there was a uh, this even goes back to Luther, but uh, and and I don't know why Lutherans are the way they are today because I don't think they read Luther as much as they should. But uh, a gentleman named John Calvin in the 16th century, uh, a, a Frenchman, don't hold that against him. I know yeah. I kind of do, but uh, through a series of providence and events, <clears throat> God brings him to Geneva, Switzerland, and uh, he is systematically preaching through the entire Bible, with the exception of Song of Songs, Revelation, and uh, his, his disciples, <clears throat> they develop a system. And there was a, a gentleman named Jacob Arminius who uh, disagreed with that system. And what he did was he categorized that system, the, the opponent to John Calvin categorized it into five remonstrances or protests against Calvin and his disciples. And those, those five are <clears throat> that, one, not everybody is completely depraved. Their will is still intact. They can choose good or bad. Uh, two, God uh, conditionally chose his people. Uh, the, you might have heard God look down the quarters of time, saw that Michael Meadows would choose God, and therefore 
based on that condition, God chose Michael Meadows. Uh, the atonement, that the the atonement is universal, and that Jesus literally paid for every sin of every human, and uh, whether they're believers or not, whether they end up in heaven or not. And then four is you can actively resist the grace of God. So if God sets his eye on a sinner to save them, that person can resist God, exercise their will over his, and overpower his will. Now they don't put it like that, but that is the sense um, that you can reject it. And then fifth and finally, that you you can lose your salvation, that you can be in true in a true state of grace, come to faith in Christ. And if you are not abiding in him, in the local church, in the scriptures, in prayer, if you walk away from Jesus, you have lost the salvation that God gave you. And so really the, the opposition, which is called Arminianism, they developed these five points. And so a group came together in Holland, uh, in uh, the, the, they called the Canons of Dort, and they devised a beautiful doctrinal statement and they walk through these five steps contradicting it. So first, man is completely depraved. His will is corrupted through and through. He is incapable. So you had Arminianism. Yes. Sorry to interrupt yes. real quick. Yeah, yeah. And now what is this? So what this is this known as? This is the early formulation of Calvinism. Calvinism. As, as a system. Now this goes back to Paul. So this right. isn't, you know. This so, is like, so this is a development. And I think it's important to understand too is like, a lot of times we look at like I've heard people like oh John Calvin he came up with Calvinism it's like no come on like even when you look at creeds and confessions uh, those come about when issues arise contradictory to the gospel so then we need to come up with a statement that says no this is the orthodox view this is the, the this is our understanding of the scriptures right. we're just laying it out for you so to, to, to put it into perspective you know we've got points every Sunday those points, yeah. like God didn't tell me, and it's not like always clear that it says your three points should be, you know, uh, start with three. Yes, yeah, sin, saved, and sanctified, right? right like, right. like it. It's not like that, but systematically, um, I'm coming up with a systematic pro approach to help us better understand together, yes. and usually points and alliteration. Um, helps the human mind to grasp these concepts. So with this one, you get these five points, and we know it today as Calvinism, and it's tulip, right? So then you think of the flower, oh, beautiful flower, and it's like it's easier to remember that way. So this isn't a made-up, man-made doctrine, no. but it, it's to help you to better understand and articulate what the scriptures say about these issues. I just wanted to hit that because sometimes no, it's like that's good. Oh, yeah, it's man -made you know, and, and, and you think about like there are lots of different types of theology that every Christian should be versed on. So you have biblical theology. How did God roll out his revelation throughout history? He he didn't send Jesus right away. No, there was a progression of redemption and God's revelation of himself over time. Right. And you have church history theology, which takes a look at what the church believed as a whole in in you know for the core doctrines and those secondary doctrines uh and then you go to systematic theology which is just let's let's it's not in a box it's just like for for the trinity that that is essentially a systematic theology we look at let's look at what the scriptures say about the father the son and the spirit individually and then as one god 
So this is this is helpful, and this might not be helpful, but if you don't remember the tulip, you can, if you know anything about Holland, their national flower is the tulip. So maybe make that association, the Canons of Door. I would encourage you to read the Canons of Door, um, but yeah, this is this is like Michael said, this is not man-made. Uh, this is most people in America are not taught this system, uh, and and again, most people in America don't read their Bibles, so they're not going to naturally come to it. So I thought maybe maybe we could go through passages back and forth to kind of start the conversation on what they teach. I think John's a, a perfect example. You can five find all five points. You got eight minutes. Okay. Yeah. Brothers got eight more minutes. So, okay, yeah. Do you want to go through each point and give basic understanding and a scripture to go with it? Sure. So what's what's the first one? All right. So the first one is uh, total depravity of man. We're, we're going through the tulip, right? Yes. For uh, a solid understanding. Total <clears throat> depravity of man. So um, that is the understanding that uh, we are incapable of saving ourselves. Um, we... Man, uh, I don't know who first dubbed it this, but uh, uh, the best way to understand it in a way that you, you'll hear me and have heard me explain it from the pulpit is that man is not as bad as he can be, but is as bad off as he can be. A lot of times we uh, compare our um, selves to others and think, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I can get into heaven. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Um, but Ephesians 2 uh, verse 1 says and you were dead in your trespassing sins it says dead right and then even on to verse 5 of chapter 2 of ephesians it says even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved um, so there alone shows us our inability like when paul says dead it's not just supposed to be some imagery where you're like oh i was helpless no you were helpless hopeless and unable to do anything you were rotting flesh dead right so um, that's a pretty basic understanding of, of that doctrine. Uh, contrary to that would be, I'm not totally depraved, I'm partially depraved. Um, like the old uh, analogy of I was sinking and someone threw me a, a life jacket, a life, you know, the little lifeboat, and I held on to it. And what that does is it, it, it shows your ability to save yourself and to reach out. Um, but really... Shy Lin hits it in one of his songs uh, talking about election that we were dead at the bottom of the yes, sea yes. and we were given life. That's right. Why so. did God save us? Because he felt like it. Right, yeah. And, and another another great verse, uh, Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, people try to, well, that's Old Testament. They try to brush it away or that was before the flood. No, be, be assured you can see this in your own life. I can see it in my life that from birth, every intention was not to glorify and love God, and therefore it was sin. So we right. can see this. Uh, and, and also, I think to make the distinction, because there are some who subscribe to this, but uh, and this is where people get caught up on it, it does mean total inability. You do not have innate in yourself the ability to respond to God and come to him willy-nilly. You, you don't have Isn't that. Isn't it interesting that faith is a gift? Exactly. God yeah. grants Ephesians us faith. Right. So, and sometimes we ignore that. And like when you understand that faith is a gift given to you, then like your response was because of his doing, right? Uh, now, it doesn't negate the response. 
like you were responsible to repent and believe in the gospel. What we're saying is, is you were unable to do that without his intervention. Uh, Paul, um, on the way to Damascus, he was blinded. He didn't blind mm. himself and say, "Oh, yeah. guys, I can't see. You know, right. take me by hand. I'm sure right. there's a guy up here that can teach me the gospel." No, God blinded him. Lazarus, come forth. Already right. on my way. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm glad you finally opened that the tomb up, man. I've been waiting for you. Yeah. Um, the second one, unconditional election. Um, this means that uh, there's no condition to your salvation. Uh, mm. God elects his people according to his will and his purpose. Um, the one that just silenced me when I was studying this uh, was Romans 9-11 when talking about um, Jacob and Esau. It says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. Listen to that. Nothing either good or bad. They hadn't done... Esau hadn't gone on to do all of his evil. Jacob hadn't gone on to do any of his good that we see from our eyes and understanding from the scriptures. It says, before they had done good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Like, they weren't even born yet right, at this point. Yeah. Right. So, and, and it wasn't, that was not looking into the future, right? This, right. Is, this is giving us the indication that that foreknew uh, doesn't mean that God uh, foresaw. No, right? no, no, he he, he foreknew his people. Yeah, right? the, the word foreknew in the New Testament is used eight times, and every single time, it's not talking about a knowledge of the future. It's talking about an intimacy, a relationship. Like Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Are we going to say that God the Father just knew Christ, knew about this? No, he had a relationship with him. And he planned this. So you could even properly say planned. Uh, another good one, and, and people like taking this verse out of context. I do it too. Don't worry. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, right? He, he had an he intimate planning relationship with them. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first born among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So it's called the golden chain. Start with glorification. So if you are, if you are going to be glorified, you have been justified. If you have been justified, you have been called. If you have been called, you have been predestined. It's an unbreakable chain. Logically, I think this is probably the most airtight argument for unconditional election, right. in my opinion. Well, and this goes into this past week's passage when talking about, oh, well, the new converts need to be circumcised. Well, that's a condition. Yes. Then that means that God's the salvation uh, is is conditioned. And that's not the case. And. And everybody understands this, whether they grasp it or not, or explain it this way as a Calvinist or not. But it says from Ephesians, everybody, every Christian, especially Baptist, if you come from a Baptist background, by grace through faith, not of works so that no man can boast. Mm. What we're saying with condition or uncondition is works. So yeah. do you believe your faith is works-based? And if you do, uh, don't believe it's works-based, then you're going to better understand this, as you should, that it's unconditional. Uh, limited atonement. Yeah, so, so God had a pe peculiar design, a particular design. So when the Father elected people, um, those so, so the Trinity does not fight within the Godhead. So the Father 
it's very clear he elected a people for himself and that Jesus very, very uh, particularly redeemed those people according to the will of the Father. And the Spirit then comes and applies that redemption Christ accomplished. And so it is, it is the most offensive of the doctrines. For my sake, it's going to have to be the one I end on since I have to go. But this is the one I wrestled with the most. And you might too. Because to say that Jesus did not die for everyone is heresy in the American church. It's mind-baffling. And then they say, what about John 3.16? All right, let's, I, that, that, that's, not, that's not a great argument. There's other passages we can go to. But um, Jesus does talk about uh, dying for his sheep. He turns to the Pharisees and he says, you're not my sheep. And so the implication is, if Christ paid the full penalty for someone who ends up in hell, what did he actually accomplish for them? Did, did his sacrifice benefit them? And is God unjust in sending that person to hell because Jesus died in their place? And so that's that's the most contentious. That's the one I'm leaving on because I like leaving at that. But um, that's the one I think people are going to have the hardest time with. And and part of it is, so you've got limited atonement, but another way of understanding it is definitive atonement. Yeah. Uh, look, God God paid the price um, for His people. If if His blood covered every sin of every person, then people are mm. unjustly suffering in hell. That's right. Um, so it just. It's funny because that was the easiest one for me, and most really? people actually struggle with that. But it just doesn't make sense to me logically that people would suffer in hell if their sins had been paid for. Brother, you take care. You have hey, a great day. God bless you guys. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing you Sunday. And I'll finish off here um, with the last two points. And again, text church, me if you need help, Michael. Te- I, I'll text you. Here, let me just call you in real quick. Um, so we'll be breaking down each of these points uh, again over the next uh, course of a month or so. Um, irresistible grace. Um, this is the idea that uh, God's grace is irresistible when uh, he is reaching his people like Paul uh, on his way to Damascus. Um, we turn. We, we repent. We believe. It's irresistible. There's nothing that we can do uh, to change that course. Now, we, again, think into Jesus' words, like the passage or verse that says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So um, there's even gets into the the last point of perseverance of the saints. But here, think about irresistible grace. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So when the Father has has chosen his people, we come to Jesus, right? Like It it doesn't say some that the Father gives will actually make it over to me. It says all that the Father gives me will come to me. Um, John 6, 44, um, just a few verses after that. No one can come to me unless the Father... Uh, who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John ten sixteen uh, says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Uh, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. So this idea that, that God's people follow God. Um, God intervenes, and there's, there's no resisting that. It's God's power. Again, we'll be breaking these down, and I know that you guys uh, probably have questions about these. Um, doctrines. The last one of TULIP is the P, the Perseverance of the Saints. Um, this is known as eternal security that God's uh, people, once saved, always saved. Let me tag on at the end, as some brothers do, uh, if truly saved. Now that's the difference. We see some people become what we call uh, apostate. Uh, they leave the faith. 
Um, but John writes, and I believe First John, they departed because they were never of us. Um, that's important to understand that. But God's people, um, let me read this line from Got Questions, says, The particular people God has elected and drawn to himself through the Holy Spirit will persevere in faith. None of those whom God has elected will be lost. They are eternally secure in him. Now, it's really important for us to understand because it's what the Bible teaches, and it will also give you so much rest. Um, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Um, so it's really important to, to grasp this and find that security. Um, this doesn't give you a, a reason to continue to sin, knowing that you'll never be separated. Um, but it gives you full assurance as you go out and live in this world that nothing can separate you from Christ, your Savior. Um, so use your life to glorify Him as you were created to do. Again, these uh, are the doctrines of grace um, as explained through the acronym TULIP. And church, if you guys have questions, uh, you can go to newhilloh.com slash ask and send any of those in. Again, we'll be breaking down each one of these. Uh, total depravity of man, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints one by one over the next month, month and a half, and answering any questions that you guys have along the way. Um, Church, I hope that this podcast has been beneficial to you and helped you to put Jesus into perspective. Uh, If you have any questions, again, you can go to newhilloh.com slash ask. All right, church, go and honor God in all that you do. Observe the things he's commanded. Provide to the needs of others and extend the offer that's been extended to you. Peace.